says these words, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier in the church, in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, even though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, his father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me, or that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for, my, for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this is perhaps while he has parted from you for a while, that you may have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant. As a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay you. Say nothing of your owing me, even your very own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow soldier in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This is the word of the Lord this morning. As I mentioned last week, we are going to spend this month going through these one chapter books of the Bible. Last week we considered the only Old Testament one chapter book, which was the prophet Obadiah. Now we turn our attention to the four books in the New Testament that contain a single chapter. And so we begin in this book, Philemon. 
And as I mentioned last week, understanding the, the background of a book of the Bible is really, really critical to understanding the message that is contained in that book as a whole. We looked at the prophet Obadiah. We saw that Obadiah was writing to the Edomites, neighbors of Judah, and letting them know that God was going to bring judgment upon them because of their failure to stick up for Judah in its time of trouble, even though the Jews and the Edomites were relatives. They were descendants of Jacob and Esau, children of Isaac. And yet the Edomites, because of their arrogance, acted out against the Jews as well, and God sent them a message saying, you are going to be judged. Of course, it's also written to the Jews to let them know, yes, it is true that you are being punished, but God sees you and God will one day vindicate you. And He will judge the nations that judge you. And so if you weren't here last week, there's the 30-second synopsis of what we talked about in last Sunday's sermon. Now this book as well is critical to to understanding the background of what is going on here. Why is this book written? Who is it written to? What is being addressed in this book? What is the message that the Apostle Paul is trying to convey as he picks up his pen? And he writes to this man, Philemon. So when you study, it's always good to ask who, what, when, where, why, how. These questions are critical to understanding and really seeing the message that a particular book of the Bible is giving. And so we hope to address some of these questions today. And, and why don't we begin our sermon with my first point this morning, is, which is this, looking at the cast, the cast of characters that are in this book. Who, who are the, the people that are involved in this book of Philemon? There are a lot of people that are mentioned in this short book, but really the, the story, the narrative, the plot of the book surrounds three individuals. Okay, And understanding who these three individuals are is critical to understanding what the message of this book is. So who are these three individuals? Well, the first one, as you might guess, is the Apostle Paul. We know who the Apostle Paul is and know a lot about him. We won't go through all of his history, but of course he is mentioned there in the opening word of this book. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Paul is writing this book. He is writing as a prisoner and he is writing with Timothy alongside of him. Okay, Paul, of course, is the radical Pharisee who has converted the road to Damascus. And now he has become the primary leader of the church. He has become a missionary to the Gentile people, the Gentile nations, to the Roman Empire. The Apostle Paul is sharing the good news of Christ Jesus. And, and he is the one, of course, who is responsible for writing many of the books through the, of the New Testament. He's the one who's responsible for establishing many of the churches throughout the Roman Empire and, and what is now the, the nation of Turkey, Asia Minor, as it is called in the Bible. 
Paul is the one who has traveled throughout the Roman Empire. He shared the, the message of Jesus. And of course, this travel, this bold proclamation of the gospel that the Apostle Paul has done has not been an easy road. It has come with its share of trouble and persecution. And of course, it's led to Paul's imprisonment many different times, which is why he writes those words, I am Paul, I am a prisoner for Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul is the author of this letter, and as I said, he is one who has been traveling throughout, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And on these missionary journeys that he has been going on, he has run across our next character, which is this man Philemon. Philemon, of course, is the namesake of the letter. He is the namesake of the, of the book. He is the recipient of this letter. This is how they write, wrote letters way back when, would often identify themselves. Of course, nowadays we write our name at the bottom of the letter, but they would start out identifying themselves, and then they would address the recipient of the letter. Paul is a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and he's writing to this man, Philemon. Philemon mentions, is mentioned here, again in verse 1, he is a recipient of this letter, and, and then we find out who this Philemon is in verse 2. He says, Writing to you, Philemon, I'm also writing to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that is in your house. So Paul addresses Philemon. He addresses Aphia and Archippus. Don't know who they are, but the fact that Aphia is mentioned as a sister in Christ leads uh, many scholars to believe that she is perhaps the wife of Philemon. Archippus is perhaps their son. Perhaps the idea of a fellow soldier is a way of, uh, of speaking to this young man or even child that is here and commending him for his faith in Christ. But obviously the main emphasis is this person, Philemon. So who is he? Well, most believe that he is probably a, a convert of the Apostle Paul. Verse 19 says this, I, Paul, write this in my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of owing me, even your own self. Okay, Paul is saying that he will repay the damage that Onesimus has caused Philemon, which we'll get into here in a minute. But, but he also says to Philemon that you really owe me your very Life, You owe me yourself. So, so this phrase kind of indicates that Philemon was perhaps converted through the ministry of Paul. Somewhere, whether it's from Paul visiting Colossia, where some believe that Philemon is from, because it was written around the time that he wrote the book of Colossians. Whatever it is, Paul had established a relationship with Philemon and has led him to the Lord. And now Philemon has shown himself to be a very, very effective worker for the Lord. He's grown in his faith in leaps and bounds. And it seems that he has become a leader in the church, possibly again. Like I said at Colossia, verse 2 tells us that Philemon was a host of a church. 
Early church, of course, did not have buildings like we do. They often met in houses, met in people's homes. Philemon undoubtedly had the facility, had the financial wherewithal to be able to host one of these house churches. And here it is, Apostle is sending greetings to him, to his family, and to the church. This is in his house. Philemon was obviously a serious believer. Committed deeply to the work of God. Again in verse 4, Paul says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus. I hear about, about the love that you have toward Jesus and towards all of the saints. Verse 6, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us. The sacred Christ, where I have derived, verse 7, much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul is saying, I, I thank God because I, I know of your great faith in God and I know the faith that you have for the people of God. And your faith, your love, your steadfastness has been a comfort and refreshment to me. It's important for us to, to see those that we know and are encouraged by. It's important for us that we know those who are strong in their faith and their relationship with God. We need people who are steadfast, who are dedicated to serving God. It does so much good to, to hear of your faith and to see what God is doing in your hearts and in your lives. And I hope as you look around the church and, and you come week after week, you find yourself being encouraged by each other, by their faith in God, by their relationship with the Lord. You see them and you know that they're steadfast, that they love each other, they love the church, they love God, they love their brother and sister. And yet while we need these individuals in our lives, we need the encouragement and fellowship that comes with each other. We also realize that any one person cannot become an idol in our lives. They cannot be somebody that we put on such high a pedestal that we, that we wind up worshiping them because the reality is people are ultimately going to fail and disappoint us. As good and as strong as some are in their faith, we realize there's always shortcomings and weaknesses in their life. And so as we become encouraged by the faith of others, we ultimately don't elevate them to such a status that if they fall short that we lose our faith in Christ. And the reason why I say that, the reason I make this statement is because of the third person that this story revolves around. And that is this person, Onesimus. Who is Onesimus? Onesimus is someone that most people believe is a slave. That was owned by Philemon. And this is why I say it's, a, it's important that we not elevate people too highly because we always see their faults and failures. Yes, we should 
look up to people. We should imitate and follow their way of life as far as they're following Christ. But if we exalt them too highly, we will be disappointed. Yes, Philemon was a great leader in the church. His heart had been touched by God. And yet here he is, and we find out that he is the owner of at least one slave. This man, Onesimus. Possibly more. Bible does not condone slavery in any way, shape, matter, or form. In fact, a true biblical ethic would argue against slavery, and I would say that this book is probably as strong an argument against slavery as you will find. But the fact of the matter is, almost two-thirds, scholars believe, or people that have studied the ancient Roman Empire said, Maybe two-thirds of the Roman Empire consisted of slaves. It was a world that was very much dominated by slavery. And even if, and even though the Bible does not condone slavery in any way, and I think goes out of its way to condemn it, the fact of the matter is many of these slaves have become believers in Christ. And the status of slaves in the church is, is recognized and understood that it is a part of the reality of the world in which they lived in. And I would dare say that the church is what caused the overthrow of slavery in the Roman Empire just as it has in our world and in the world of England and other places. Of course, what many people who want to grift and hold the mantle of slavery over our nation fail to realize is how many parts of the world where slavery still exists. The fact is when Christianity comes into a world and comes into a heart and life, God reaches even the worst of individuals. He has the ability to end wrongs that are being done. And this is what we see that is occurring here in this book. The Apostle Paul is speaking out in an indirect manner against Philemon's actions of owning Onesimus as a slave. And so we have the Apostle Paul, we have Philemon, and then we have this man Onesimus. So we see these cast of characters, and my second point is this. There's an ironic, an ironic connection. An ironic connection that occurs between these three men. Paul has met Onesimus, or Paul, I should say, has met Philemon. He has established a church. A church has been established in the house of Philemon. Paul has moved on to wherever he is. He's found himself in prison. And somehow, during his imprisonment, he has come across this man, Onesimus. Onesimus has ran away from Philemon. He has ran away from perhaps Colossia, if that's where they were. He has run into another part of the Roman Empire. And somehow... Paul and Onesimus' paths have crossed. 
These paths have crossed. Paul and Onesimus make the connection. The connection of their similar acquaintance that Philemon is someone they both know, someone they both have in common. And of course, since Onesimus has left the house of Philemon in a, uh, how do you want to say it, a less than honorable way, Philemon has it out for Onesimus. It could have been something, yes, where a slave, if they were captured and they knew that they were captured, could be returned to its owner. Just as we've even seen in our own country's history. If you would, Onesimus has ran away from, from Philemon and, and perhaps he has even harmed him in his escape. Many believe that perhaps he has stolen goods from him, has taken money or whatever else that he could have saved and helped pay for his travels or whatever you want to call it. Verse 11 tells us that Onesimus was useless to Philemon. This is formerly Paul says he was useless to you, but now indeed he is useful to you. As you can imagine, those of you that have hired people or you've been a manager or supervisor, you, you know what it's like, right? When you hire somebody and, and they show up for work for a day or a couple days or whatever it is, and then all of a sudden they just skip town and you can't get a hold of them. You think that person is worthless. If they ever come back and give them a piece of my mind, I'm going to fire them. Of course, most of the time they don't ever come back, do they? <laughs> He says he was useless to you. And now in verse 18, he says, if he, if he has wronged you at all, or he owes you anything, charge that again to my account. Paul is telling Philemon, he, he understands that Onesimus is considered to be use, useless because of his actions. He tells Philemon that, that there has been damage done, and if there has been damage done, he will be responsible for it. Onesimus, again, has run away from Philemon. And yet somehow in his escape, he has run across the Apostle Paul. And somehow, during this journey, during this escape, he has come to faith in Christ. Somehow in his escape, in his journeys, he has, he has come across the Apostle Paul and whether he did during Paul's mentorship, whether he did during Paul's tutelage or someone else did, Onesimus has come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's very well possible that Onesimus found himself in jail for some reason. And there he was sitting in a cell next to the Apostle Paul. And by the way, you don't want to sit in a prison next to the Apostle Paul because he's going to tell you about Jesus until you give your life to Christ or you pull your hair out. But he's, he's told him about Jesus. He's come to faith in Christ. And the Apostle Paul now has begun to mentor him, to teach him. And Onesimus in turn has been released maybe from prison or whatever the case is, he has begun to minister to Paul in a physical way. Back in Roman prisons, you didn't always get three square meals and exercise and all this stuff that we give people today. 
lot of times your needs were supplied by outside sources, family sources. And if they did not meet your needs, you went without. And so Onesimus is ministering to Paul's needs. He's providing what the apostle Paul needs in ways of clothing or toiletries or whatever the case is. Somehow Paul and Onesimus become very close to each other. And during this relationship, Paul begins to talk to Onesimus about how he needs to go and make things right with Philemon. He needs to go back to Philemon. The story has come out. Onesimus has confessed what he has done to Philemon. He's told Paul the truth about how he escaped. And Paul tells him, you need to go back and make things right. Verse 12 says, I am sending him back to you. I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending you my very heart. I'm sending you someone I'm very close to. But yet I have to send him back. Verse 13, I would have loved to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. I would love to, to keep Onesimus. He would be a great man to take my letters that I'm writing and, and go to the churches and whatever else he's doing. Verse 14 says, Paul says, I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might be not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. In other words, the Apostle Paul understands the legal and societal connections. The fact that what Onesimus has done, whether it's right or not, we could judge that Onesimus is guilty of crime within the Roman law. The best way to bring reconciliation is to work within the, the framework of, of Rome's laws and for Philemon to offer a full and complete pardon to Onesimus. This is how true freedom would be granted. And Apostle Paul says, I realize that. And I realize the best thing for you to do is to take Onesimus back and to forgive him and to set him free. And so Paul says these words in verse 17. If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. You know, this verse really, really is the heart of the book. Paul writes to Philemon and says, you need to receive Onesimus even as you would receive me, the Apostle Paul. You can just imagine, couldn't you? Somebody calls you up and says, hey, this is the Secret Service. The President would like to come and visit you today. Okay, imagine these are the same party you are, okay? Some of you are thinking, yeah, I'd love for him to come. I'd give him peace of my mind. All right, well, just, just imagine it's somebody you support and vote for if you haven't. Most of us would probably go through the effort of 
shining the house up and making it as perfect and as wonderful as it could be. But yet your child comes home and he says, hey, Johnny wants to come home with me. He's, we're out playing outside and running around. We're hot and sweaty and we're going to come inside and eat popsicles. Probably most of us don't go through that kind of effort for a five-year-old boy that's smelly and sweaty and dirty and everything else. But Paul tells Philemon, you need to be willing to accept Onesimus just as if, if it was me coming. I mean, Paul says, I'm coming to visit you. Oh, we would roll out the red carpet. Paul says, yes, do the same thing. Do the same thing for this man, Onesimus. And that's why I say it's a heart of the book because you really see the essence of the gospel at work in that little verse. Paul says if we are joined together with Christ, we must also be joined together with each other. And so as I've given you a summary of this book, and we don't have time, obviously, to go through every single verse, even though the book is short, the message and lessons it contains are powerful. They're powerful, they're applicable to us today. So let me go through some lessons that we can learn here from this short book of Philemon. First one is this, that is the gospel The gospel is for everyone. The gospel, the good news of what God has done in Christ Jesus, it's for everyone. It's for everyone. Think about these three characters. The Apostle Paul was an elite, upper-crust Jew, Pharisee of the Pharisees, schooled in the very best school, He had his degrees from Harvard and Yale or whatever you want to say. He was devout, zealous. He was the upper crust of Jewish society. Philemon may have been a Gentile. He may have been a Jew, may have been a Gentile. but, But yeah, he had the wherewithal to own slaves and to own a house large enough for a church. By that, we don't mean a 5,000-member church. Probably a church even smaller than our size, 30, 40 people at the very most. But he was a well-to-do man. And yet these two men who are well-off, who are well-to-do, who are upper-crust people, are both changed by the power of the gospel. Of course, on the other end, we have Onesimus. A slave, a societal nobody, a lower caste member. Man who is sold into slavery or taken into slavery because of crimes he had already committed. And yet this man who is a nobody did not have legal rights, could not vote, could not own property. This man is reached by the gospel. So both ends of the societal structure 
has been converted by the grace of God. But, but not just societal structure. Think about their own lives. Also, Paul was murder of Christians. It's a man who stood there and as Stephen was being stoned to death, was given his full approval and it got him inspired and he went and he began to kill more and more Christians. Philemon was a man who owned slaves. Man who thought nothing of someone else but making him nothing more than property, personal property, taking Onesimus' dignity totally away from him. And then, of course, Onesimus who ran away, which may or may not be a sin in the eyes of God, but while he was running away, undoubtedly either damaged or perhaps stolen, from Philemon. And yet all three of these men are converted by God. The grace of God reaches them. The gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ loves them and died for their sins has reached each and every one of us. And as we look at this letter, we realize that if the gospel can reach these three different men, certainly certainly they can reach us as well. Paul said to the Colossians, because of the gospel, there's no Greek or Jew. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. There is no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and he is in all. This morning you're here. And you're working on your PhD in molecular engineering or some other fancy thing that I'll never be able to understand. I'm glad you're here today. Today you're here and maybe we don't know it, but you never graduated high school. You can't really read. Guess what? The gospel is for both of you. The gospel is for you. God loves you and He will forgive you of your sins. You're here today and you're a man. Got up and you shaved your face this morning. You're here today and you're a woman. You got up and did whatever women do to get ready. The gospel... It's for you today. It doesn't matter. You're here today and you're retired. You're here today and you're too young to ever hold a job. Your job is taking out the trash and running the vacuum cleaner when your mom and dad tell you to. The gospel is for you today. But it's not just your status and who you are. You're here today and last night you pulled the trigger on somebody and took their life. Last night you were in the arms of a person you were not married to. 
last night you're watching things on your TV or your computer or your smartphone that you shouldn't have been looking at. Friday or last night or whenever you were taking money from your company that did not belong to you. The gospel is for you. The good news is that if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead and you will ask him to come into your life, that good news is for you. It's for you. The old song we used to sing says, Whosoever surely meaneth me, surely meaneth me, whosoever means me. God so loved the world that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. And so as we read here, we read of Philemon, we read of Onesimus, we read of Paul. We'll probably go on and see Aphia and Archippus and Demas and Mark and Aristarchus and Luke. We realize the gospel has reached these men and women. So I ask you this morning, have you trusted in the gospel? Have you received the good news? Do you know that Jesus Christ died for your sins? Have you asked him to come into your heart and forgive you of your sins? If you're here today, I want you to stop saying, it can't be me. Because the Bible says, yes, it is is for you. The gospel is for everyone. Second thing is this. The gospel joins us, joins us into a family. If I didn't feel guilty about getting a paycheck from the church, I would have just said, Bonnie preached the sermon, so let's go home after worship. So so as she said, as she began this morning, it is right on. The good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ is more than just forgiving us, but He has also placed us into a family. This is the message that is seen in Philemon and, and needs to be emphasized in our churches and, and in this church as well, and especially since this is who we're talking to. We are more than people united by a common race or nationality or socioeconomic status. We are united by a common blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. God has taken us. He has made us a part of the family of God. We come together. When we join together, we are joining as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Verse 10 says, Paul, Paul writing to Philemon says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. I'm writing to you for this young man that I consider to be my son. Okay, Father, Paul did not sire a child while he was in prison. But this young man has come and, and the relationship has joined between him. And now as an old man, he writes about this young man and says, I consider him my child. 
Verse 15, for perhaps that's why he's parted from you for a while. You might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant. You might have him back as a beloved brother. Beloved brother to me, but also to you. You see what Paul is saying there? Appealing to you on behalf of my child. I am your father. I am his father. You want Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a brother to me. Message could not be any clearer for us. We as brothers and sisters in Christ have been joined not just in relationship with him, but in relationship with each other. We need to treat each other not as colleagues, not as acquaintances, but as a family. Never realized that that one day I was walking in Walmart and I was wearing a Penn State State t-shirt and I think I got it on clearance for a couple bucks, which is why I was wearing it. A lady walked by me and said, we are, and I looked at her and was like, Yeah, we are walking away from you because you're weird. (laughs) I didn't know what I was supposed to say is Penn State. Now I know, okay? And if I ever find another T-shirt on clearance for a couple bucks, I'll know that that's what I say. Several years ago, we first moved here. We're joined by something greater than a devotion to a football team. We're joined by something greater than a devotion to a political party or affiliation. We are joined together as a family. When one suffers, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, we all suffer. When one is exalted, we all rejoice with them. I heard the other day a podcast talking about the fact that your spouse Your children, although they are your spouse and your children, they are also your brother and sister in Christ. They're fellow heirs to the grace of God with you. And it was a challenge. This podcast was meant as a challenge to to those who would come to church and, and, man, we would love and care for and treat each other like the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, we'd go home, we'd treat our wife or a husband like trash. We'd treat our children in horrible ways and manners. The speaker was pointing out that is not the way to go. It is wrong. It is wrong. And we as a church have to adopt this mindset. It has to get in our DNA. We have to be willing to stick together and encourage, pray, lift up each other as believers. We have to understand that you can't just look at somebody and say, yeah, whatever, who's that? I don't know. Somebody's missing. Needs to be us that gives them a call and says, hey, we missed you in church. Where are you? We know somebody is hurting. We need to say, how can I help? How can I be a part? gospel brings us into a family relationship with each other. 
And it is a family that is closer than even our own biological family. So the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is about joining us to a family. And number three, the gospel is about restitution. About restitution and reconciliation. Again, this is the heart of Paul's letter. I want you, Philemon, verse 17, to be reconciled with Onesimus. You have to realize Philemon is holding all the cards. He legally owned Onesimus. And all he had to do was report it to the Roman authorities. And Onesimus could face serious consequences. But again, verse 15 says, This is why Onesimus might have been parted from you for a while, so that you might bring him back forever. You might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant or actually slave is probably a better term there, but more than a slave. As a beloved brother, especially to me, how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord? If you consider me your partner, receive him. Receive him as you would receive me. Paul's admonition is for Philemon to accept and welcome and bring back Onesimus as part of his family. Welcome him back. Be reconciled in your relationship with him. Join yourself together with him and become one with each other. By the way, Paul does not whitewash the fact that Onesimus has wronged Philemon. Again, in verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or he owes you anything, charge that to my, my account. Paul is willing to absorb the cost himself, whatever Philemon has done, or whether, whatever Onesimus has done, I should say, I will take care of that for you. But you can see in these verses the broader point, which is what I'm trying to make here. Restitution and reconciliation is to be at the heart of what we do as believers. When you wrong someone, when you do wrong to somebody in the church, you need to make things right with them. That's why Lazarus, when Jesus said, I'm coming to your house, he said, I... Fine, I got all my records of all the people I have defrauded. I'm going to repay them fourfold. If you've hurt or offended somebody, you need to make it right. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there and go be reconciled to them. We must, must be willing to say, I was wrong. I am sorry. It's the last time you said that to your brother or your sister. Even if you're married to them or they are your children. But at the same time, we must also be reconciled to each other. We must be willing when someone comes to us and wants to make things right, we must be willing to forgive them. 
Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Verse chapter 5, verse 1, I should say, therefore be imitators of God. What did God do? God forgave us. God forgave us. How can we sit there and harbor something in our heart towards our brother and sister and not remember what God has done for us? So if you've wronged or hurt or offended somebody today, go to them and make it right. If that means financial restitution, go and make it right. If somebody comes to you and wants to make things right with you, you need to receive and forgive. You need to be reconciled with them. That's why Paul is sending Onesimus because Onesimus has to walk into Philemon's house and say, I am sorry, I have done you wrong. But Paul is also sending Onesimus so that Philemon will look at him and say, I forgive you. So the gospel's for everyone. It joins us to a family. It's based on reconciliation, restitution, and finally, finally the gospel. The gospel is undergirded, undergirded by love. The gospel must be undergirded by love. You know, the Apostle Paul takes a lot of effort to let Philemon how know how well he is thought of. Verse 4, he says, I thank my God when I remember you because I have hear, I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus for all the saints. For I, verse 7, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And then I like what he says here in verse 8. He's just buttered up Philemon and told him how much he loves him and finds comfort in him. It's so refreshed by him. Verse 8, he says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Verse 9, Yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I like those words. I, I could tell you what to do. I could command you what to do. Confess as a parent, trying to make my boys forgive each other, telling one to say, you need to tell your brother you're sorry. And of course it works out, right? Because they don't want to get in trouble. And then we turn our back and they go right at each other again. We do that with little kids. Paul's saying, look, I, I could do that too. I mean, I know you guys are adults. And you're not three-year-olds fighting with each other. I guess I could do that. But I'd rather appeal to you on the basis of love. I want you to understand. Love is why I ask you, Philemon, to receive back Onesimus. I appeal to you on the basis of your love for Christ, your love for the saints, and now hopefully a love for this man who has done you wrong. 
John said, how can we say that we love God if we've never seen Him and we can't love each other? But we see each and every week. You see, true reconciliation is done as we begin to love God and we love one another. And God begins to work in our hearts. It begins to take those feelings of bitterness and resentment and anger and jealousy and hatred. He turns them into love for each other. The world has a different mentality. The world wants quote-unquote diversity, and so what they want is, you know, you to have ten people and to have one Caucasian and one African-American and one Hispanic and one Asian and so on down the line. And if you don't have it, we will force you to. That's not the way the church works. The church works in a different way. We say, come, each and every one of you. We don't care who you are or what you look like. Come and experience the love of Jesus Christ. And you know what happens when you experience the love of Jesus Christ? You find yourself loving that African American, loving that Asian, loving that Latino. You find yourself loving that rich person who drove up next to you in his Mercedes Benz or Porsche. Man, you love that person that's parked on the other side of you. His car may not start and make it home. You're going to have to push it and go down the hill to get it going. You love that person who, how do I say it without offending you? That person that's a little bit older than you, there you go, I'll say it that way and be safe. You love that child that's running around, screaming and yelling. We need to be a church that is based and a love for God and a love for each other. And if there are things in our life and things in our church that are not right, I challenge you today, go to that individual. Go. Receive that forgiveness. Make things right. We do this on the basis of what Christ has done for us. He gave His Son to die for our sins. Today is the first Sunday of the month and we celebrate the table of the Lord. We celebrate communion. Paul gives us instructions on how to do this, but he says this, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven, in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And this is a time for you and I to search our hearts. To ask ourselves the question, is there someone that I need to fix a relationship with? And if so, I pray that today, before the sun goes down, you will go to them. Be reconciled.
fix that relationship. Welcome them back as a brother or sister in Christ. Why? Because God gave His Son for us. Let us love one another. Amen. I want to worship team to come and ushers if you would come this morning. We're going to receive communion today. Take it as more than just just a piece of bread and a cup of grape juice. Take it as a realization of the love of an almighty God who gave His Son to die for your sins. If you're here today and you need to show that love towards someone else, do it. Look at what Christ has done for you. Can we not love each other in that manner? Father, we pray as we prepare our hearts for communion, that God, you will prepare, you will search our hearts. Lord, maybe it's someone here in the church, I pray that the final amen is spoken. Pray that individual you're dealing with will go to them say hey I'm sorry maybe it's somebody we need to call maybe it's somebody we need to write a letter to maybe it's someone who's already passed away and we can't communicate with them but Lord wherever we are we need to we need to get that forgiveness in our life Pray that you'd help us to do that. As we take the bread and the wine, we'd remember, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God showed his love for us. May we also show that love to each other, we pray. Remember what you have done on our behalf, we ask in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead, worship team, ushers, if you want to come. Let's see the community today.